you're listening to Irish Radio Tenders Home and Abroad and I'm delighted to be able to reconnect with somebody, it's been a long number of years at this stage since Brian Tahani and I sat down and had a chat and um, Brian came to Ottawa and I'm estimating it would have been 2008 because I think that's when we had Sean Keane down at St. Bridget's um, for what would have been the first concert ever that was down there and um, Brian accompanied Sean on that and Sean was on his way at that stage he was working his way to Godridge and that's where Brian and I are now sitting down having a chat and reconnecting Brian thanks a million it's been great reconnecting with not you. at all Aston. it's great to see you and great to be here again in Godridge for the Turkey Celtic Roots Festival isn't it and yeah. brilliant it is brilliant it is um, in the times that since we talked I know uh, we were just chatting there a few minutes ago and I said we have Mandalore and we draw from that um, and that was under your own name but you're now part of North Atlantic Drift yeah um, and it's an interesting name in every way because the North Atlantic Drift goes past Sligo where you're from and it heads up to Scotland it does. Where, where Dan is it Dan's from Scotland uh, originally yeah, yeah definitely yes. so, so the North Atlantic Drift touches yeah. both of you yeah it does it does he's a Highlander so uh, they came over I think in the 1700s 1800s yeah. his crowd uh, it's a very uncommon name of MacDonald very uncommon <laughs> Nearly <laughs> as uncommon as Morphe. <laughs> indeed, indeed, more or less the same. So that's where his crowd comes from. And I suppose with Ross, he's uh, in Ontario from uh, Port Hope, uh, born and then raised in Windsor. Uh, his father was a, a Highland Piper and uh, in one of the very influential bands there down in, in Windsor. There's a whole Ontario ha- piping tradition, sort of really top class players and uh, he learned from his father originally I know Frank Edgley as well from Windsor Captain Edgley as we call him uh, he taught him uh, as well and uh, yeah so he he got into Irish pipes I suppose maybe 20 years ago the Ireland pipes and He'd come, start coming to the sessions that I was in here in, in Toronto to attend. And we had a great fiddler at the time from New Brunswick, uh, Kim Vincent, an, an almighty uh, Irish-style uh, player, but born in New Brunswick. And uh, we would go to sessions with him, any chance to play with him, and always Ross would turn up. And then eventually Dan and his wife, Jen, came to Toronto and uh, we started to see him coming out and he took a great shine to Kim Vincent as we all did and he played a lot with Kim and I played a lot with him as well and uh, so we gradually got to meet each other right. and then we were uh, a friend of ours Bill Carvin uh, he had uh, been asked to uh, put a band together for a church uh, who wanted to do a Celtic mass one Sunday and this is about 12, 11 years ago and uh, he thought well Brian, Dan and Ross would be the ideal three fellas for this and he played Bowron himself right. so we did we did the gig and immediately after it we said you know this works out pretty good lads you know we've had so much fun let's form a band and we did <laughs> and we came up with the name North Atlantic uh, uh, Drift because it seemed logical we're pulling on the traditions of me from Sligo on the west coast of Ireland, uh, heavy fiddle and flute music, uh, heavily 
uh, influenced by Scotland to a degree and uh, that's exactly where Dan gets his uh, inspiration for the Cape Breton music it's all based on the Scottish music yeah. and Ross of course was a Highland piper so he can play a dirges and the whole shebang if you want and Scottishes and uh, Strathspeys and everything and I, I love that we, we mix everything in our own music we've got Strathspeys and we love Scottish reels and Irish reels and Irish barn dances and we'll mix them all up and give it to them so since you were in Ottawa and back in whenever it was 2008 I think um, you've been on the road um, but is it mainly around Toronto or do you get out much do they, do they let you out? <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose m- uh, most of our gigs are in Toronto. That's just the way it is. It's, there's an established sort of Irish community there. Uh, but more than that, there, uh, the Irish uh, sessions have been going a long time there. Uh, it started off in Allen's pub on the Danforth and uh, then right beside it. Uh, Dora Kyo's, uh, as it was called, it is now called Noonan's after the proprietor, uh, Jane Noonan, who took it over a couple of years ago. But uh, there's been music running at Dora Kyo's for 20 years, solid, and sessions. Right. Two or three a week, actually, with, yeah. uh, at the height of it, three a week. And you're guaranteed really good players there. So right. that's where we'd all congregate. Now, a session in Dora Kyo's, or as it is now, Jane Noonan's. You know, you're familiar, I'm familiar with what the session is like at home. Mm. You know, you're going to get musicians rambling in. Yeah. And you can get, depending on where you are, in Sligo or if you're down in Clare or parts of Galway, you might get 20, 25 musicians some nights. What would you be getting in Toronto? Well, believe it or not, um, the majority of sessions you'd never see less than maybe 10 or 12 musicians. Right. And again, it's a mix because some people can make it that week and they can't, and other people will fall in. And we have loads of visitors coming because Toronto is such a big hub. Yes. We get a load of musicians, whether they're from the States. Uh, sometimes we get musicians from Ireland uh, on the younger people who get a visa for summer work. Yeah. That was a common enough thing. We get, uh, you know, people traveling through at the moment. We have a great. Uh, banjo player again another banjo tenor banjo from the west he's from Mayo Shane Mulcrohn and he's been in Toronto for the past few years uh, he stayed here during the Covid and everything so he's uh, I think working on a permanent thing and uh, yeah so we get all sorts of people dropping in all the time and we still do it must be reassuring for you when you see a young guy like that coming up as well because you know there's always the fear that us guys that are gone great um, that the, the, the succession planning yeah. and something like this is not something you can plan you, you have to hope Yes. This, yeah. and it must be rewarding and reassuring when you see the young guys coming in oh it absolutely is yeah it absolutely is but that's the Irish side of it now on, on, on the Canadian side itself there are a few up and up- coming uh, uh, people Spencer this guy called Spencer who, who worked for the uh, come from away theatrical oh, crowd yeah, yeah. and he got uh, some lessons from my ex-wife Loretta Reed and uh, he's a remarkable piper flute player tin whistle player and he's a stalwart around Toronto and then we have another guy from Toronto Island called Eli who is just a brainstormer of a flute player and uh, 
box player and again he got a couple of lessons from Loretto so she has at least taught a couple of different people in Canada right. younger people who have kept up the music I can also think of a, a girl from one of the islands in BC uh, Marie and uh, she's a good flute and tin whistle player as well so there's a, a stock of people like that but there's also then the Ontario style fiddlers uh, they're two a dozen really they're popping up constantly and uh, they also get involved right? several times we've got the Ontario style fiddlers come into our session uh, now on a Tuesday night every Tuesday night at noon and me and Dan run it and uh, it's, it's always a, a delight you know they're, they're taken to Irish music because of the melodies and the just the whole fact that you can go out and play it you know there's no Ontario style fiddle sessions so I would imagine you all start together but do you finish together? <laughs> most of the time we do <laughs> or they realise it because uh, the people beside them have stopped playing and are just looking at them staring at them because I know <laughs> the, with the different style of fiddle playing it's got to, to do not only with how the, maybe the the, um, the bow is put across the strings but also the, the beat the speed yeah the beat is the big thing you know yeah. well we try to ensure uh, you know when I was in Saigo I grew up, I grew up uh, learning by osmosis never had a lesson in my life yeah. but I, I sat beside Joe O'Dowd the great Joe O'Dowd who was a direct link to Coleman and well certainly to Killorn Paddy Killorn and uh, he used to play with him on the, the ships going over and back to America in the 40s and 50s Paddy had a, his own uh, little orchestra on the ships to entertain the crowds when before there were planes and everything like that so it, he did he'd uh, give the job to Joe O'Dowd yeah. uh, so he learned uh, he was our, our top notch fiddler but there were other fiddlers there were spread thin uh, and uh, a few other characters around and uh, I learned from all of them by just sitting and playing with them yeah. you yeah. know and but on top of that all the great flute players that Sligo produced right. in the uh, mid to late 70s I was playing sessions continually it, it, it completely overtook me as a teenager playing right. Irish music and uh, uh, I was learning fiddle too at the, at the same time so getting a chance to play with Josie McDermott Packy Dignan uh, the likes of Peter Horn uh, all these fabulous and then all the visiting players you know uh, we used to have a session every Tuesday night in the trades club in Sligo right downtown there and uh, on Castle Street and it was it was just the most unbelievable thing the first time I went there uh, I'd been advised of it that I should go down and check it out so I, I came down to this it was a sort of a club that we had two or three clubs that were uh, that were able to serve drink over uh, the limits uh, over the time limits and, and uh, they had a bit more flexibility than pubs I thought you were going to say I could sell them to underage well I think it was <laughs> 15 when I walked in there and I said to my friend uh, uh, Mickey Barr I said Mickey I said, I'll go up and order and if they give me a pint I'm ordering uh, two each for us and that's what the, the, without batting an eyelid you said yeah how many pints do you want four pints of Guinness please so <laughs> we trundled up the back stairs then up to the session which was in a dark room and a big uh, sort of half circle of musicians I'd say there was about oh, maybe 15, 16 musicians in a half ring there right. and uh, they were all playing up a storm we had some great musicians to see in Sligo uh, we had the likes of uh, Pumpkinhead at the time 
had come over from San Francisco right. they had been playing with uh, Joe Cooley and uh, Keegan I forget his first name two great box players from East Galway and so they had already infiltrated the Irish music scene and then they came back to Sligo and they were playing as a band in Ireland and uh, they'd come out to the sessions all the time I remember Rick Epping and Sandy Epping constantly being out she was a remarkable uh, mandolin and guitar player and he's a remarkable concertina and harmonica player and Rick is still back in Sligo he's gone back to live there for good and he's uh, still playing sessions and every time I come over we just hug each other and play tunes Brian do you miss it? Sligo? Yeah well I get back you know I got back I know, every I know, two I know, or three years I know and it's nice to get back but they, like they, they, what you just described you know there's a there's a buzz and there's a there's um, a sense and uh, the whole way that belongs to a location that you can never export um, do you miss that? I do of course I was born and bred there yeah and uh, but now I'm longer in Canada than I was in, in Sligo yeah. yeah and basically I suppose now my children are here uh, they're in Toronto Mississauga and uh, they're fully ensconced there I have four beautiful grandchildren at this stage uh, I'm still working away in Toronto um, I get back to Sligo as I said but I keep my connections you yeah, know yeah. and I keep my musical connections I do nothing but play music when I go back there right, right. and that's the important thing and I keep meeting younger musicians yeah. and they don't know who the hell I am yeah. and it can be a, a beautiful thing to realise see they realise that oh hang on a minute this guy has a real a real you know he, he has the, the groove he's, he's he not a blow-in he's not a blow-in no and he knows nearly every blooming tune so there's got to be something going on here and uh, we start chatting and then the next thing well okay so the next thing I, I'm invited to all the sessions that is kept under wraps and the musicians right. Mu- right. Mu- music sessions and uh, it, it's just a delight you know I love I love those sort of things that still happen to this day uh, my good friend Sh- uh, Shimi O'Dowd who's a remarkable musician uh, you know I've talked even to him about you know the fact that maybe we can get playing maybe we can do something that I'll eventually retire and you know all sorts of plans have been made and, and some yeah. didn't happen and some will happen you know yeah. Yeah. and that's just the way it is so it's keeping the musical connections has kept yeah. me going for sure I know uh, when we chatted earlier before we, we started chatting here you mentioned that during COVID you were an essential worker so you had uh, one you had actually something to do and in having something to do which was so important for the mental health yeah you also had the music yeah so you had the music to kind of balance the stress of having the, the day to being an essential worker yeah yeah that's true um, I, I, since I came to Canada um, I've worked as a maintenance manager for uh, my first job was maintenance manager at Metro Toronto Housing which is the second largest uh, subsidized housing in North America after New York City housing so that will give you an idea of the, the scale of the operations I worked there for 11 years and I became a management trainee after about a year, year and a half and that put me on to the management side of things, I worked as a property manager and maintenance manager 
and uh, after 11 years of the public sector I thought well this is a bit heavy so I started going then to the non-profit sector and I've had a number of jobs right. very interesting jobs one of them was a off-reserve Aboriginal housing right. uh, one of them was an autism um, <coughs> non-profit from Aurora and we had housing all over Ontario yeah. and I got a chance in both those positions actually of, of, of booting around Ontario yeah. into the wilds and uh, seeing it and I, I really enjoyed my time in, in both those uh, companies and uh, the most recent one is Houselink in Toronto uh, and uh, they've merged with a, a, another big people called Mainstay but it's community homes particularly for homeless people and everything and Brian I know I keep that at the end of every day you can only come away from a job like that appreciate what you have yourself yeah, absolutely do. you do yeah yeah it's certainly you're faced with it every single day yeah because the people you're helping are, are there and and you know i take great pride in, in the fact that i've worked in that sector yeah. for so long uh and it's it's been good to me and i hope i've been good to it in, in yeah. the way i can be and uh, i just i just love it i love having staff and and, and yeah. working as a team for things and i know as well that there are lots of people that you would have come across on that side of your professional career who are oozing with talent and just for one reason or another haven't had an opportunity to be able to turn that talent into uh, a way of helping themselves yeah exactly exactly and, and, and a lot of people need to be steered yeah. to things you know rather than hoping they pick it up themselves you know yeah. but I mean the simple fact of it is unless somebody puts an instrument into your hand yeah you are unless you have access to something yeah you know you, you, you're not going to be able to explore your possible no. talent no and uh, that's a tough one it that's is a tough it one. is but, it is but there are people yeah. certainly in, in the housing things like there would be programs where yeah. we have we'd help uh, as much as we can you know? I know I know um, North Atlantic Drift how long have you been on the, the high seas uh, about, about I think about 11 10 or 11 years anyway for right. sure yeah, we were just thinking about that over the weekend, and uh, yeah, it's been a long time going. And in that time, we've done a lot. We've done two albums. Uh, we have a third album recorded with uh, with a, a brass quintet, believe it or not. Uh, we've recorded a bunch of traditional music with them while in during the COVID. Uh, my my son Leon, he's a recording engineer, and he owns a studio downtown. Uh, right now he's constructing studios for people okay. specific recording studios and he's got into that side of it but uh, we've recorded all our albums with him on uh, on a beautiful uh, Neve desk from the 70s which is just a, you know you can stick any any old microphone into it and it'll sound good <laughs> the electronics are, are from the 70s and everything is calibrated he, he, he keeps a great service record on it and the people keep it in, in fine ship but uh, yeah it's, it's 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 a wonderful thing i actually came to canada as a recording engineer right so i thought we would i would get working at cbc and be set for life but that didn't happen yeah and after two months uh, i had gone to a go temp a temporary government agency uh, and they got me a job the next morning i started off the front desk at metatron housing right. so that's right. and i stuck with that ever good since. for you yeah good we're going to wrap up and what are we going to share with the, the listener oh gosh I wonder uh, 
you'll have to pick one yourself and I'm not so sure whether you like the first album or the second album but I, I, I'd like you to pick a, a, a set from either of those maybe got some Cape Breton stuff in it okay and nothing is shouting up at me at the moment okay so this is North Atlantic Drift and we've been chatting with Brian Tarney and uh, it's been a great as I say reconnecting with you Brian and uh, wishing you a long and um, I don't know what the appropriate word in the music industry was for um, rewarding career well, thank you very much Austin I must say I've had a good time of it for the past 40 something years <laughs>